Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. This is Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. I'm here with Brother Macaroo and Brother Amos. One thing that reared his head the other day was the self-hatred, the imposition of uh, the European spirit uh, clearly in the transmission of uh, feelings of inferiority. In, in many instances, it comes from the parents themselves. I heard the horror stories uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, when I was down in Cleveland County of the kind of abuse that this young lady uh, was being subjected to and has been subjected to uh, throughout the uh, greater portion of her young life, 21-year-older, miscarriage as a result of a beating, uh, verbal abuse being meted out by the mother. This is a, a familiar scene that we find here. We touched on this um, recently in a recent show uh, it's clear to me that many of our parents have internalized the inferiority of our kids. Our kids uh, in those situations where the parents are the, are the biological parents. You know, suffice it to say, parenting is both sociological and biological, and womanhood and manhood is a creative act, to quote. Uh, Brother Amos Wilson, you hear of stories uh, where uh, a child is born and the and the question that's raised is not how many toes does a child have, uh, is a child breathing, is a child healthy. You hear stories such as what grade of hair does a child have and what color the child is. So it starts... Uh, in a real sense, uh, at the neonate period, with the negative bombardment of rhetoric that uh, reflects the inconvenience that the child will uh, bring to the mother or to the father, uh, comments such as, you know, I got to get rid of this and uh, that kind of thing. I'll leave it there. So much to do, so little time. Um, the cinema projection of Wakanda we want to talk about, the passing of an icon. Uh, brothers, take it wherever you want to take it. A baby for Hodier, Bado, Mampampano, the struggle continues, African family. We are taping today's show of African uh, liberation, of the African Liberation Media Podcast on the fourth day of Kwanzaa, Ujamaa, Cooperative Economics to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses, and profit from them together, a socialist concept. Ujamaa, the literal translation of Ujamaa in Kiswahili is family. And the Emwalimu Julius Nyeri um, developed the program as he was in the process of liberating and governing uh, Tanzania called uh, Yuhura 
and Ujamaa, freedom and socialism. So we are in the process. We've had three great celebrations here, Umoja, Unity, Kujichakalia, Self-Determination, and Ujima last night, collective work and responsibility that was um, expressed by um, the warriors in the Mashari at the Mills Place. But I do want to start by by talking about uh, a civil rights icon here in Charlotte, uh, Brother Charles Jones, a uh, person who, who stepped to the forefront when uh, young Africans in the uh, early 1960s, 1960 to be example, uh, decided that uh, they would challenge American apartheid. And Charles Jones was a student at Johnson C. Smith University, and he led the um, the sit-ins here in Charlotte, uh, the attack on 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 that aspect of American apartheid. Um, Jones was a, uh, I'll read a, a local article, Jones was a campus leader at John C. Smith University in 1960 when four North Carolina A&T students sat down at a Wool, Woolworths lunch county in Greensboro. They refused to leave until they were served. Within a week, Jones and two other Smith students, Haywood Davenport and B.B. Delane, were ready to start organizing sit-ins in uptown Charlotte. They expected few others to join them uh, that first morning. Instead, more than 200 students showed up ready to emulate the Greensboro Four. We were obligated to join it, uh, Jones told the Charlotte Observer in a 2010 interview. The movement had caught fire. Jones' march through history included being jailed for supporting lunch counter protests in York County, South Carolina, by a group known as the Friendship Nine, these were nine students that were uh, attending uh, Friendship uh, College, a university in, in Rock Hill. And um, uh, then uh, he, be he became a lawyer and an advocate for the, uh, the, Bit the Biddleville neighborhood where he continued to live uh, near Johnson C. Smith. I had the pleasure of sitting down talking to him many, many times in his uh, office uh, which was, it, you walked into his office, it, it was in a very large house, and it was like a rainforest. I mean, uh, th this brother was like way ahead of uh, the, the Green Revolution, as, uh, as, as you might put it, as, as he uh, just literally turned his house into a rainforest. Um, of course, um, uh, through the years, uh, he supported uh, many of the activities that, uh, that that we engaged in as young people in 1968, uh, we formed a chapter of the, of the Black Panther Party, uh, and our office was actually not too far from where Brother Jones lived in the in the small Smallwood neighborhood, and he he was always willing to offer you know his advice. Uh, I talked to one of my. Um, uh, Mashari, one of my advisors, teachers, Baba McCarson, he knew uh, Brother Jones well. Brother Jones, when when they had the um, ceremony <coughs> for the uh, transition of the great Kwame Ture, Brother Jones uh, went up to uh, to D.C. to participate in that. So he was just an all-around good brother. And a lot of people say, well, man, you know, these guys, they were fighting for integration. And you 
we have to see struggle, you know, in, in, in context. Because the reality is without the sit-ins, we never get to black power and black liberation. You can, you can start something, but as people's consciousness develop, as what happened with, you know, the Stokely Carmichael's, H. Rap Brown's, Huey Newton's, and, and others, the Fannie Lou Hamer's, Ruby Doris Robinson, there's many others, as their consciousness developed because the white supremacy is guaranteed to react to any kind of positive action by us. They're guaranteed to drop the hammer. And when they drop the hammer, the question is, how do we react? And we react, the, 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 the young people who rose up in the 1960s reacted by continuing the struggle. In the face of terror, they continued to struggle. No fear. The uh, black people in... Uh, the grassroots black people in the Deep South, particularly in Mississippi and Alabama, the people who risked everything, they risked lives, livelihoods. Uh, the government one time even cut off their food stamps to try to starve them to death, and they continued to struggle. Where is that spirit today? Where is that feelingness today? Fearlessness today as, as, as we are beset with a number of problems, including a 13-year-old child being killed by a stray bullet last night at one of the malls here in Charlotte. Where is, where is the fearlessness of Fannie Lou Hamer and Annie Lee Cooper who knocked Jim Clark out? Where is that? And so, you know, a lot of times people get hung up, well, you know, they were fighting for integration. No, you have to see struggle as a process. Without that, we never get to the Black Panther Party. We never get to the Black Liberation Army because as the oppressor becomes more aggressive, more repressive and aggressive, you got two choices. You get back in the alley and get out of the way, as Malcolm said, or you, you dig in and say, we're going to continue to fight. And, you know, that's what they did. And Charles Jones was one of those kind of people. So I just wanted to, to mention him because uh, it's very important figure here in Charlotte and in the, the civil rights movement in uh, North Carolina. I don't, uh, brother, dismiss uh, some of the amenities that occurred that we had access to um, being the beneficiary of what was known as, quote, end of quote, the integration struggle. I remember as a young child in the early 60s, you know, my grandmother having to relieve herself as well as several of her friends, in what was a not a basement but a sub basement, you know, and you're talking about women basically having to form a human shield to uh, provide a modicum of privacy and protect themselves from the innocent onlook of a four year old. <laughs> that was me, right? So you know, I I, I don't <laughs> you, you don't know, dismiss that. I, I I I don't dismiss that, really. Um, as you know, one of the benefits, as basic as it is, we're not talking about a power change. We're not talking about a redistribution of wealth, but the humiliation and you know the adaptation on the part of these women in their seventies. Yeah, it, you know it. The the move, the civil rights movement itself became a movement for reforms. Uh, you know, sort the the same thing that that happened at the end of chattel slavery. There was a movement for reforms. Reforms, of course, are not revolution, and reforms are not going, going to bring about, uh, bring about power. They have to be seen as part, part of a process. I mean, we gotta remember, 
that uh, Fidel Castro started as a lawyer, Che Guevara started as a doctor. So the, you know this, these are these are all that is part of part of a process. Uh, you know, Amilcar Cabral was an engineer, so you know it's part of a process of 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 development uh, that that can lead to power. The, the real tragedy, in my opinion, of the civil rights movement, and this came about as a result of the uh, the ability to influence our minds and become more class oriented than people oriented. The people who invested the most in the civil rights movement, and I'm talking about, you know, the people like Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, Annie Devine, uh, June uh, Johnson, um, Victoria Gray Adams, Unita Blackwell, uh, Aaron Henry. You know, these are all people from the Mississippi Delta, Sunflower County, LaFleur County, Tallahatchie County, where Emmett Till was killed. The grassroots of the of the uh, Mississippi Delta, the grassroots of the the Black Belt of Alabama, uh, where every year we have a circus in Selma with uh, with clowns, political clowns, celebrity clowns who go who flock to Selma and and uh, reenact uh, the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge crossing, where uh, the the white supremacists uh, showed you know. <laughs> just how vicious and barbarian they could be, uh, you know, by attacking people with uh, all the weapons they had available at the time. And you have people that go down every year like Barack Obama and others, and they, 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 they celebrate this, uh, the, the, the crossing. And there'll be a big circus in, in uh, March of 2020. There'll be a huge circus in Selma. Selma's located in Dallas County, Alabama. Selma is known as the place that really was the, the key struggle that led to the passage of the Voting Rights Act. Dallas County is the poorest county in Alabama, mm. the poorest county. So when all of these clowns, these political clowns, Barack Obama and others, and there'll be a bunch of them down there, these Democrat candidates, a bunch of them will be down there in March of 2020. When they come to Dallas County, it's the poorest county. When they leave Dallas County, it's the poorest county. I mean, unfortunately, they, they, they gave an honor to the war criminal Hillary Clinton last year. And she's down there marching lockstep with Jesse Jackson and Cory Booker and others. It's just a real tragedy how the, the grassroots of our people have been pimped and who benefited the least. And this, this is the unfinished struggle. And the message... To the grassroots, many of whom now are lumping proletariat, don't have any jobs. The message is don't follow these clowns. Don't don't follow this clown show. Don't get caught up in this corrupt two party system. The only solution is a struggle for power. And that power has to be linked internationally to the struggle in on the continent of Africa and in the Caribbean. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's just that's just the way we need to see it. But we have to see the process. That, that leads to that development, because without that, without that, you don't get the struggle for black liberation, which forced the United States government to engage in war against us, killing people like Fred Hampton. Uh, yeah, yes, sir. You're talking about the um, evolutionary process. And by 1967, Doc articulated, Dr. King, that racism was deeply embedded in the American culture and society. 
So we're talking about an evolutionary process, um, you know, to whatever degree we can, you know, clearly, uh, I know you've talked about this, brother, it's necessary for us to develop uh, self-sustaining communities. And, uh, you know, we can critique many organizations for not really bringing these concepts into fruition. We're talking about a cultural pluralism where we gain access perhaps to you know, whatever we can benefit from that larger society has to offer while maintaining our own uh, redeveloping our own institutions, uh, cultural patterns and and uh, traditions. You know, we're talking about, once again, the synthesis of things as part of the process as we move toward a B.B. Fahodi African liberation um, is an approach that was really not articulated. Um, and the people in Selma, you mentioned before, brother, that they're eating or drinking, I'm sorry, raw sewage. People are subjected to toxins in Flint, Michigan. Well, hopefully they're not drinking the sewage, but raw sewage raw is sewage. is running through the yards of people in the Black Belt of Alabama, in, uh, in Dallas County, in Lowndes County, in Greene County. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perry County, you know, the home of uh, the great Coretta Scott King, Jimmy Lee Jackson. Um, so, but, but yeah, but this is, this is symbolic of, of what happens when, when we don't maintain, we, when we don't, for example, uh, express, uh, live out, or believe in the principle like of Ujima to make our brothers and sisters' problems our problems and to solve them together. Okay, I mean that's what that's what we've gone away from, you know. We strayed so far from our communal origins, our communal origins. I mean this 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 is a traditional, you know, African culture where it was all for one, one for all. Uh, Ubuntu, I am because we are. We we strayed from that, and you know, and now we have this uh, class of super bourgeois Negroes. That uh, you know, we don't even need to mention. Last week we uh, we touched on the CFA Frank a little bit. We talked about the West African countries who are trying to abolish or get rid of the CFA Frank by removing the first thing they're trying to do is remove their currency out of the reserve banks in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this past week. Uh, activist Kimmy Saber was arrested in Bikini Faso for what they called making uh, slanderous remarks against the president uh, Kabore and this goes to show the alliance that many of these leaders West African leaders still have with Europeans and uh, the French uh, almost want you to tell them a little bit about Kimmy because he's really the brother that more or less ignited, I think, this struggle against the CFA Frank. Yeah, so Kimmy Saber, a brother who's been really working uh, since 2004, um, and particularly recently, he has done a lot in various countries. He was kicked out of uh, Ivory Coast, he was kicked out of Senegal, and also of Guinea for organizing protests against the CFA Frank. Um, you know, going places, demonstrating, uh, burning 
uh, dollars. Yeah, he would take he would hold the franc up to see if they franc up and burn it. Said you know it's worthless, right? Right, right. And he, he and he's faced uh, resistance everywhere he's gone. Yeah, he was kicked out of France also. He was kicked out of France and uh, recently arrested in Burkina Faso. And uh, this brother has been a a strong proponent, uh, a catalyst for what you're seeing. What you're seeing happening now, where people are now feeling comfortable in moving away from the Frank, probably because they got the blessings from the Chinese <laughs> to make the move. But you see an African man here who is putting himself on the front line and actually trying to fight against, who has been fighting against this, and uh, he's still being treated this way. In hey, Africa. almost, let me ask you this. Don't, don't, we, don't, we, don't we have to be a bit suspicious about Macron and, and France more or less rubber stamping this? I mean, I, I mean, I think that there has to be a third party that's making France agree to go with this strategy. Okay, okay. I think that uh, when you look at the, the number of Chinese investments in Africa and you look at the position of power that they're starting to achieve by making these investments, now they're in a position where they don't want to continue to do business under these restrictions. Mm -hmm. So it could be a possibility that the French government has sat down with the Chinese government and they've agreed to a workaround which could mean that they would agree to them allowing them to move their money out of the French Reserve banks with some type of deal. Okay. On the back end, we don't know, you know, what's been negotiated yet, but it is extremely questionable, to say the least, that France would agree at this day and age where they know they have. Far more to lose than to gain. Exactly. What would be their incentive? Yeah, and why? To agree and why? To that why, type of deal. Why are you locking? Why are you locking up the leading activists? Mm. Why are you locking up the leading activists for just criticizing <laughs> the the president of the but, country? Well, one of the things he said is that eventually the youth will overthrow the government. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they looked at that as a threat. Okay. And inciting violence against. The uh, the president against the neo colonial government. Right. Here's 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 a government uh, that there they have been over two thousand Africans killed in Burkina Faso this year as a result of terrorist activities. These are all of the, all of the the terror the terrorist groups that sprouted up after uh, the overthrow and assassination of Muammar Gaddafi and the collapse of the uh, Libyan Jamaharia. Uh, we've had numerous uh, uh, jihadist groups sprout up all across the Sahel, North and West Africa, and they are—they have been engaged in terrorist activities ever since uh, Libya fell in 2011. It's very interesting that uh, these groups. Uh, there, there was basically only one group that was located in Algeria that would periodically uh, make attacks on Mali. But there were, there, you know, there, there was there was none of this activity that we see now uh, in Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, Chad, uh, Cameroon, and Nigeria. And the question has to be asked: How long before it's in Ghana, Guinea, Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, the Benin? 
you know, uh, we have to ask that question because Africans are not have not mobilized against it. Now, you know, we saw that this week the French uh, uh, finally were able to develop a uh, well, they didn't develop it. It was actually an American built drone. And uh, they launched their first drone attack in Mali, supposedly killing uh, seven seven terrorists. But but here, here here's the president of a country. You got your people being gunned down, and then you locking somebody up for saying, rightfully so. Uh, you know we are everybody's hopeful because the average age on the African continent is 19, that the, that the youth will be revolutionary. But you know we we have to see it. But like it, you said, it, it goes to show these, the 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 um, continuing uh, control and effects of these neo-colonial leaders. The same way we talked about last week, how Pio Lumumba was not allowed to enter into Zambia because of his remarks against the Chinese. We are in a state where black people, and this happens in the United States too, mm-hmm. where you have uh, Negroes who act mm-hmm. as guard dogs. For the Europeans, if you speak out against the European, normally the first person to attack you back is going to be a black person. Mm-hmm. So here you see on the continent people who are speaking out against things that are injustices and things that are outright stupid in in regards to uh, a, a, a way that you have your economic system set up. They're speaking out for the benefit of the country, mm-hmm. but yet they're being arrested or they're being denied access, or they're being expelled. Or kicked out, yeah, kicked out of African countries. Yeah, expelled from countries for making these remarks. So this is one of the things that we have to really be conscious of here because we have to use our voices here with the rights that we have here that some of our brothers and sisters on the continent may not have that right to voice their opinion. We have to get this message out there because... If you go to the continent, and I've been in situations on the continent where almost been arrested for, 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 for specifically doing things that people fear will cause an uprising in that country. Right, right. So this is, this is not you know, an issue to play with. We've seen many times where we've had presidents who've been killed and also leaders who've also been killed. Mm-hmm. For speaking out, and that's and and primarily that's one of the reasons why many people shy away from becoming leaders is because of the track record that has taken place of the seriousness of Africans being killed right here in America and in the diaspora. Right, and or they'll silence you like they did Dr. Quo, yeah. right? Removing removing her as the uh, as the African Union ambassador to. Uh, the uh, United States after she specifically raised this issue regarding France. Right. And, and, and we have to get rid of this mindset, this individualistic mindset. I just want to say one mm-hmm. thing. Somebody sent me a video of Dr. Umar Johnson oh. making a statement where he said, I've done more for African people than everybody in a conscious community combined. <laughs> Now, I don't know what he considers to be the conscious community, but this is the mentality that will never get us power anywhere on the face of the planet. When you honestly believe that an individual Mm -hmm. 
can portray themselves as being greater than the whole. Mm. It's never possible. He 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 identifies himself as the prince of Pan Africanism. Mm. Nothing that nothing that uh, Umar has done has put him in a position to where white people feel threatened. I'm just gonna keep it 100 with you. Keep it 100. What Kimmy Sabe is doing is a thousand times more powerful than what Umar is doing. Absolutely. Nothing that Umar has done has caused him to take an enormous amount of heat from the European. Nothing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Exactly. And it, it, it never will. Why would it? There's no there's no organization. That, I mean, it's just, uh, like I said, the guy calls himself the Prince of Pan-Africanism. You know, and we're not, we're not here to to uh, attack individuals. This, 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 is, this is all based on ideology. This is based on our African-centered thinking. You, you call yourself the Prince of Pan-Africanism, which uh, is certainly an egotistical thing, and then, and then you make a statement like, uh, you know, you just quoted, which reflects uh, the deepest level of Eurocentric individualism. Okay? I mean, you know, this, 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 is, this is absolute hypocrisy. This is, this, this is a clear contradiction. How are you going to call yourself a Pan-Africanist and then try to tout and try to say something that, that you have done individually when, when what, what is it that you've done? I mean, I've never heard uh, Malcolm X or... Dr. King or Kwame Turin, I did this, I did that. No, they all they all went by, you know, that old uh, spiritual. May the work I've done speak for me, mm-hmm. and that's all you need. If you putting in the work, then that's all you need. And if you putting in the work, you will be targeted. If you really putting in the work, you'll be targeted, uh, you know, by this government. You know, I mean, if you know, I told you, I told y'all. You know, my experience, I mean, I'm just just a, a mere foot soldier, you know, in the struggle at the uh, age of uh, 22. And here here the here here is the the United States government telling me that they got a file on me. They telling me that your dad served in World War Two and your mother works here and you were a student at West Charlotte and a good student at Morehouse. And I'm sitting there looking like. I'm not Huey Newton. I'm not H. Rap Brown. I'm just a foot soldier. But when we go through the files, we see that they started spying on Mamil Bujamal when he was 15 on Fred Hampton when he was 17 act they actually started spying on dr king when he was a student at morehouse that's what the files reveal when dr king was a student dr king in a morehouse when he was 15 mm-hmm. graduated at 19 they had files on him then so when if when you're putting in the work you don't need to stand up and say i did this i did that the people as uh patahotep says you know that uh you know, the people will gravitate towards true and genuine leadership. Gravitate toward you and give you a name themselves. The name should emanate from the people based on your work for the people. You know, and the character of our struggle has always had a mass-based characteristic. I remember Dr. Ture talking about Superman and Rambo only exist in the movies. But, uh, you know, it's we got a situation where uh, it's probably a, Axiom that's applicable across the board. No instrument of power is uh, as effective as taking a man to the mountaintop and showing him the kingdom below. But ultimately, what we're lacking is organization to destroy corporate power that's behind many of these 
uh, oppressive policies. You know, what can we do in America throughout the diaspora to attack, say, shell oil if they are behind these oppressive measures? You know, what are the Chinese entities that um, we can assault, be it through economic boycotts, quarantine, or whatever you want to call it, to bring about the necessary change? You know, in this respect, you know, it's, it's obvious to me that our scholars have failed us uh, given their penchant for wanting to uh, become, how do you describe it, brother? Celebrity scholars. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, 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 you know when, the, when, the, when the issue is clearly power, you know, how can we, you know, use a coercive power strategy to bring about the necessary change along with the advocacy that, uh, that we're even lacking at that, that, at that stage? Exactly, exactly. Like you said, if, I mean, if, if what you're doing is a threat, one thing we know about Europeans is that they eliminate threats that they conceive as being immediate threats, either short-term or long-term. They, they, to, they take to, no chances. To their yeah. power structure. They, they yeah. take no chances. Yeah, it's either, it's either, it's either uh, incarceration, right, which we still have, you know, the um, you know, Sundiata Colas, uh, you know, Chip Fitzgerald, uh, former Black Panther Robert uh, Seth Hayes, uh, who spent uh, oh, over 45 years, you know, in, in prison for his uh, activities as a member of the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army, uh, was released uh, last year. Uh, he made the transition uh, this week. Uh, generally, they keep these brothers uh, in jail until, you know, they, they, they're about to... Uh, to expire, you know, uh, from, you know, from diseases or whatever, some of which may have been given to them. And, uh, you know, he made the transition. Uh, but, 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 but you're right. I mean, so, you know, it's incarceration or you force into exile like, um, you know, like Asada Shakur in, uh, in Cuba, Pete O'Neill, you know, in Tanzania, uh, or, you know, they 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 take other types of uh, you know activities uh, act, actions against you, and 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 the severest of threats. You know, the the Malcolm X's, the Fred Hamptons, the Dr. Kings, the Bunchy Carters. You know, they are they are physically they are physically eliminated. The Mumia Abu Jamal's are incarcerated. Jamil El Amin, a man a man that a man that this government still fears, the former H. Rap Brown, they still fear this man so much that they would not even allow anybody to interview him in prison. You know, brother, this is uh, reflective of um, what happened to the great George Jackson. Um, clearly, they do not want uh, the message of Mumia Abu, I'm sorry, of Jamil Abdullah El Amin to reach the masses. You know, for fear that mobilization may become organization, they want to destroy it at the nascent level uh, to prevent this, what the NSA describes as this contagion from occurring. They want to destroy it at the embryo state. Exactly. And, 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 and to Brother Amos's point, everybody that we've mentioned, all of these brothers, all these brothers and sisters that we've mentioned, you know, from the current, you know, the Kimmy Sabers and others, all these other people, Asada Shakur, all these people were parts of an organization. They were part of an organization. <laughs> Last time I checked, uh, Dr. Umar has never been banned from a country. 
Yeah, why would they ban him? Interesting. <laughs> Garvey was banned from Bermuda. Interesting. Even Farrakhan was banned from Bermuda. Even Irritated Genie was banned from Bermuda. Yeah. Even yeah. even Tariq was not allowed to enter into uh England, wasn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. The United the Kingdom, yeah. So what he's saying must be more of a threat than what what Umar is saying. Wow. But he's not a part of the organization. <laughs> for one. And the <laughs> Let me let me move on. Uh you know, every every year I have to um come to the defense of the um of the Kwanzaa, the Pan African holiday, Kwanzaa, the celebration of our family, community, and culture, because it, it, it never it never fails that the uh people on social media now, I mean that's basically the way they do it, uh they create these memes, memes or whatever you call them. I don't know what they call them. But anyway, that uh, that try to uh, connect the founder of Kwanzaa okay. uh, to um, uh, the murder. Yeah, the murder of Bunchy Carter and John Huggins and to, uh, as they, 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 you know, claim that, you know, he was an agent of the uh, of the United States government. Uh, I have a blog post titled Kwanzaa, Karinga and the Black Panther Party. Uh, which I published in 2014 after I read an article by uh, a brother that I have a, a lot of respect for. And it, it, it's it's okay to disagree with people you have respect for. I, I agree with almost everything he said with the exception of this. He he has recently transitioned to the spiritual world, and I'm talking about uh, uh, our brother Bruce Dixon from Black Agenda Report. He, he wrote an article called Why I Don't Do Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. And so this is what Brother Dixon said. For many of us who took part in or were simply aware of the Black Panther Party in the late 60s and early 70s, the Kwanzaa holiday is inseparable from the career and persona of its inventor, Ron Karinga, now a tenured professor in California. Back in the day, Karinga headed an organization called, he has capital U, capital S, that's not the name of the organization, it's capital U, small s, us, us as opposed to them, um, as a tool of COINTELPRO, the federal counterintelligence program directed at movement organization, Karinga's US organization murdered two leading members of the Black Panther Party in Los Angeles, Al Prentice Bunchy Carter and John Huggins, and two more in San Diego. To my knowledge, Mr. Karinga has never expressed the faintest remorse or regret for these murders or his part in furthering the nefarious aims of the federal and local police agencies in their assault upon the movement during those times. So, you know, this has, this has been uh, a a continuing uh, assault uh, basically without any documentation or, or the, the words of uh, some people who were infiltrators themselves and who can truly believe what an infiltrator might say or, or a a stooge for the government. Uh, The first thing about this is that the, the the people who are are making these claims are separating the the celebration the event which has value in our community from the uh, the, the the person in, in, as far as they're concerned the individual once again here this is Eurocentric individualism the individual is because the individual may have some issues the entire process you know, must be condemned. 
So I, I wrote a response to Brother Dixon. I sent him an email. As a matter of fact, he responded to my email, and he said that, uh, you know, he said he was on holiday and that, uh, that he would get back with me. Uh, you know, he, he never did. He never did. But that's not a response. Yeah, he he didn't. You know, he yeah. didn't. He didn't. He didn't respond. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, he he responded by saying, "I'll get back with you." That was his response. But he never really did. And um, so so every year, you know, I see I see these these memes and they pop up, and then I have I, I go into these uh, long battles. Um, and uh, you know, basically, you know, what I'm saying is that it's it's quite amazing that is that how we continue uh, to regurgitate the disease pus of our enemies. In this case, uh, the enemy being uh, the most powerful, most powerful institutionalized and most destructive white supremacists of the 20th century, in my opinion. If you look at his role in uh, assaulting and uh, undermining the, the Garvey movement, from the Garvey movement, through the Civil Rights Movement, through the Black Liberation Movement, J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar by day, Mary by night, Hoover, was the most powerful and destructive institutionalized white supremacist of the 20th century. One of the things I always do is, uh, one of the first things I do is, you know, when, when, when people make these charges, uh, I, I, I refer, I, you know, I, I, doc, I respond with, how the revolutionary Geronimo G. Jaga uh, responded to the situation. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this because, you know, I don't, I don't want to just totally take up all the time talking about this. But so this was the interview Geronimo did in 1997. The question, the question was, because of the death of Bunchy Carter, as a result of the Panthers clash with Marlon Karinga's US organization, even today rumors persisted, persist that Dr. Karinga was an informant. Geronimo, not true, definitely not true. Question, what was the Panther clash with us all about? Geronimo, we considered Karinga's organization to be, cultural, to be a cultural nationalist organization. We were considered revolutionary nationalists, so we had a common denominator. We were both nationalists. We never had antagonistic contradictions, just ideological contradictions. The pig manipulated those contradictions to the extent that warfare jumped off. Truth is the first casualty of war. It began to be said, it began to, to be said that Karinga was a rat, but that wasn't true. The death of Bunchy and John Huggins on the UCLA campus was caused by an agent causing a disturbance, which caused a panther to pull out a gun, which subsequently caused us members to pull out their guns to defend themselves. In the ensuing gun battle, Bunchy Carter and John Huggins lay dead. Now, this, this was my response to what, uh, what, what Geronimo said, uh, just the last part of it. Uh, the, uh, I have the deepest respect for the revolutionary Geronimo G. Jago. May his soul rest in peace. But he's using the term gun battle loosely here. There was no shootout at UCLA on January 17, 1969. This was a political assassination. Bunchy Carter was unarmed. John Huggins was fatally shot in the back. Huggins managed to fire one round at the assassin before he collapsed. A gun battle is what happened at 41st and Central. So I just wanted to clear up that one point. But here's the key point. Here's the key point that, uh, that, that Geronimo makes. Geronimo said, 
Uh, the death of Bunchy and John Huggins was caused by an agent causing a disturbance. Okay. Mm. Now, all of the eyewitnesses who were there and many other people who subsequently studied this know who caused the disturbance. It was not a member of Karanga's organization. It was a member of the Black Panther Party. One, Miss Elaine Brown. Now, I'm not going to accuse Elaine Brown of being an agent. Bunchy didn't, I mean, not Bunchy, Geronimo didn't call her name, but we know who caused the disturbance, right? We know that it was Elaine Brown that caused the disturbance, getting in an argument with a member of uh, the, the US organization. We know that the assassin was uh, a, a member of us by the name of Claude uh, Hubert, who subsequently totally disappeared in the thin air, just like the assassins of, of Malcolm X, with the, with the exception of Talmadge Hare. When the real killers get away, whether they're on the, the grassy knoll of Dallas or whether they are, you know, aiming at Dr. King standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel or whether they are causing a disturbance and, and assassinating Malcolm X and getting away, when the real killers get away, we know that the deep state has to be involved at some level. So uh, that, that in and of itself, plus we have the, the testimony of an FBI agent, if we can believe him, who said that this uh, guy, Claude Hubert, was at, in fact on the payroll uh, or he was being used by the FBI in, in Los Angeles. But here's the thing that people, that people don't focus on. And this is part of our problem of, of our continuing inability uh, for synthesis, synthesizing the best. We, we seem to always think that, we, that, that, that there are only two, two ends of a circle as opposed to 360 degrees. And we have to take the either-or position. It's either Garvey or Du Bois. It's either it's either Du Bois or Washington. It's either Martin or Malcolm. It's either uh, the cultural nationalists or the revolutionary nationalists. It's not either or. It's the best of both, if if we intend to move forward. But here's the here's the thing that most people don't know when they stand up and 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 they just. You know, people take these memes and they just post them on their Facebook pages and other places. They have no ideas to the history behind the thing. The fact of the matter is this. Marlon Karinga, Huey P. Newton, and Bobby Seale all started in an organization called the African American Association. Uh, it was organized by uh, Professor Donald Warden. Okay? They were all members of the same organization. Initially, there was unity between them. As a matter of fact, uh, Karinga introduced uh, Kawaita, his version of cultural nationalism, uh, you know, uh, uh, which is which is focused on on culture, uh, tradition, and reason informed by practice. Um, he introduced that in 1965. In uh, they formed the US organization in 1965 after the rebellion in Watts, and Karinga's position was that. That while we engaged in other aspects of struggle, politics, economics, or whatever, we also need to focus on culture because it's culture that will liberate our minds. They began to argue that the key crisis and challenge in black life is a crisis and challenge in the area of views and values, what we think and how we act. And they said that until we engage in a cultural revolution, our liberation from the tyranny 
of Eurocentric thinking of white supremacy was not only unachievable, it was unthinkable. This, this was the position that, that they took. Now, in 1967, uh, they, they, they organized something called Uhuru Day, uh, first in 1966. And what it was, it was, it was a, uh, something to recognize the rebellion in Watts. Black people in Watts in, the, in South Central Los Angeles were being brutalized by the police and they, and they rebelled in 1965. So us organized what they call Uhuru Day to celebrate that. In 1967, at the second Uhuru Day, Huey Newton came down from Oakland, shared the podium with Karinga, along with H. Rap Brown from SNCC. So you had these three black leaders on the stage. No problem. No disunity. Everybody in the Panthers knew what Karinga's angle was. It was culture. When Huey was arrested, after Huey was arrested, and they started having free Huey rallies in 1968, the US organization organized a free Huey rally. And Bunchy Carter was the keynote speaker. I have a picture on my on my blog of Bunchy and Maulana Karinga sitting together. There is unity. There is black unity. In 1969, on the night before Bunchy and John Huggins were killed, there, there was a dispute between the Panthers and us over a $25,000 black studies program or black cultural union or something that was that UCLA had, had agreed to give $25,000 to and the Panthers wanted to control it, us wanted to control it, and there was some disagreement about that. But uh, Geronimo, these are Geronimo's exact words. He said that he and Bunchy went to meet with with uh, Karinga and Karinga's minister of defense, a brother named Jomo. They sat down on the night before Bunchy was killed and they made an agreement that they would let the students decide uh, who would run the program. And that's the only reason Bunchy and, and John were there, because they just said we just and the us people were there. They were going to let the students decide who did this? So there was there was no problem between these African people until, until, just like they did with Malcolm and Elijah Muhammad, the pig, our historical enemies, the white supremacist Jagger Hoover said, "What can we do to foment, you know, some type of aggression between these people?" and our uh, people didn't have they didn't have the vision to see beyond what the pig was doing because they were sending letters to the Panthers saying Karinga was doing this. They were sending letters to the Karinga saying the Panthers were doing that. And so they kept manipulating. They tried the same thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They tried the same thing with Fred Hampton and Jeff Ford of the Blackstone Rangers or the Black Peace Stone Nation. And Fred and Jeff said, no, come on, let's come together. So what you what you had was black unity. You had all these black people working together. And then you had the manipulation. You had a disturbance which caused uh, some guns to be pulled. And then you had uh, two brothers killed, one of whom I regard as one of the most critical, most, one of the most important leaders of the, uh, of the black liberation movement, Bunchy Carter, because of uh, his potential was on par with the potential of Fred Hampton to, to reach our young people. So this is what people, what people should be focusing on is how did 
our enemies manipulate this situation the same way they manipulated the split between uh, Malcolm and Muhammad. How did they manipulate the situation to cause disunity, disruption, and then aggressive actions against one another? This is the position that we're in today. We haven't grown beyond this. We haven't learned anything, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, a lot of us haven't learned anything, and we're still regurgitating J. Edgar Hoover's diseased pus. This is tragic. But I have to, you know, I have to, I have to like, you know, go on. I don't want to say warpath. I have to go on the defense every year and reach as many people as I can by saying, oh, this is not what happened, folks. This is not what happened. Let's analyze this. Let's think critically. And I think what happened with Brother Dixon was having been a former Panther, he was caught up in the emotions. Now, let me say this. When I, when I joined the Panthers a after the killings of uh, Bunchy and John in, in January 1969, I was, in the, I was in the party when the anti-Karinga propaganda was at fever pitch. I mean, every week the paper came out, there was like, you know, uh, you know, pig informant, you know, uh, whatever. As, 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 if, as if Karinga was was an FBI asset like William O'Neill. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and one of the things I, you know, Karinga was in prison from 1971 to 1975 uh, for some things that he that he allegedly did to two sisters. OK, uh, he has never fully explained that, which he is obligated to. But there's no way J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover would have would have squashed those charges. He would not let a valuable FBI asset spend four years in prison at a time when he was waging war on the Black Panther Party. It's just insane. But if we if we think critically, if we're using both of our cortical hemispheres, Right. If we if we if we're balancing our rational thought with with our emotions and our feelings and whatnot, we could see this. But we still locked down on one cortical hemisphere. And then, you know, and we're still regurgitating this stuff, just like, you know, we re regurgitate all of the other other stuff that, oh, it's either or it's either. Or. No, look, look, folks, it's the it's synthesis. Synthesis is the key to ascension. Not one or the other. All of these people are human beings. They all make mistakes individually right but it's it's what they the ideas that they put forth the organizations that they've built what can we take the positives let's take the positives from garvey the positives from du bois the positives from washington okay discard the rest all right and not continue to make these mistakes so you know that i have to do that every year so uh, you know, I thought I should should just bring that up. Well, we talk about collective work and responsibility. There has to be collective study uh, and analysis. You know, it's difficult to learn on your own. It becomes incumbent upon us, you know, in a collective venue to bounce ideas off each other and do away with our egos so that we can ascend. You know, once again, we're talking about a challenge to the coach itself based on a definition given by Ani um, when she articulated beautifully that culture makes cooperation natural. Mm. We find ourselves in 2019 still unable to 
cooperate for the good of the whole. Exactly. This is indeed African Liberation Media. We are most appreciative to our scholars, Brother Amos and Brother Macaroo of Bibi Fahodier. Bibi Fahodier. Bibi Fahodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.